0: Welcome to the Sui Generis Show, your unique perspective on your constitutional rights and the criminal injustice system. With Erica Merrill, I'm attorney Brian Jones, criminal defense and civil rights warrior. Today we're talking about the ongoing struggles with police brutality, the government response to the Black Lives Matter movement, and in segment two, We're gonna be talking about pre-indictment delay as a legal concept and as it relates to the indictment and charges against Daniel Masterson, who played Hyde in the hit TV show, That 70s Show. To make sure you don't miss an episode, make sure you subscribe on Apple iTunes and Spotify. Make sure you follow us on social media to see videos of these podcasts and look to tlobj.com for all of the information you need about your civil rights and the criminal injustice system. Erica, did you see in the news this week that another black man lost his life to the hands of law enforcement, Shaw Brooks?
1: I did see that and it's just disgraceful. It's, it's becoming uh, a weekly situation now and, and it's especially sad since this whole thing could have easily been avoided.
0: I agree Erica and and in this case Mr. Brooks was shot in the back by police officers in Atlanta Georgia what we're seeing though is that the protests that we've seen over the last couple of weeks are really starting to have an effect because in this case the officers have already been terminated from their employment and brought up on criminal charges Um, both the primary officer and his co-officers have been charged as co-conspirators and they currently remain on unpaid administrative leave.
1: Wow, it sounds like change is in the air and all of the protesting and information in the news is starting to change society and how we handle situations like this.
0: I, I think I, I agree with you 100%. The The length of the engagement in this case with a DUI stop all of the information that's gathered during the process of that DUI stop uh, led to what I think is a significant contributor to the charges being issued in this case. It would have been very easy for the officers in that situation to just let Mr. Brooks go and track him down later on a warrant. The officers failed to de-escalate the situation and then after Mr. Brooks was shot, they failed to provide medical attention for over two minutes Including a period of time when they were kicking him in the head. I think these are the factors that led the DA to pursue criminal charges in this case.
1: Oh my God, I didn't realize they were kicking him in the head. I also think I read somewhere that they were standing on his shoulders.
0: There was a significant tussle before Mr. Brooks got a hold of the taser and ran away. Um, I don't recall them being standing on his shoulders after he was shot, uh, but they, they were leaning on his body and not providing medical attention. And the whole thing is recorded on videotape.
1: Oh, my God. I mean, you would think that they would learn something from what's been happening in the news lately.
0: I think law enforcement officers try to protect their own. First and foremost and we've talked a few times on this show about the requirement that I think should be added to each and every police officers contract that if they see misconduct among their police officers among their fellow police officers that they should be required to report it and obviously in this case that didn't happen
1: it is so sad and you know I'm really sorry for that for that gentleman's family and and I do hope that You know the justice is served when it comes to, you know, the situation, and you know they have it on videotape. They've already taken Ah. swift uh, action, and I mean, these are all good things to see. Good, good changes.
0: They are, and one of the one of the other really good changes that came out this week is that Governor Mike DeWine here in Ohio proposed a formal police reform policy, and surprisingly, it was met with albeit tepid support from the Ohio Fraternal of Police. Now, Governor DeWine's proposal puts a ban on chokeholds except for life and death situations. Now, is this enough or can it go further? Should chokeholds be completely banned?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think that that leaves a giant loophole in, uh, in the defense for the police department if. A chokehold is used they could just say that uh, the, the situation warranted it and and just keep using chokeholds.
0: I think you're right Erica and and I hearken back to the videotape of the unarmed black man who was with his ward he was a home health aide and his ward was in crisis and he's sitting next to his ward hands up uh, not a threat to anybody and yet in that case the officers claimed that they felt in danger for their lives as they gunned him down. So I think officers use that uh, fear for officer safety as a buffer and a tool to justify what is really excessive force.
1: Um, well, I'm I'm glad that they are at least taking some steps toward minimizing the use of chokeholds. If they can't get rid of them altogether right away,
0: absolutely. Now. Governor DeWine also put in his policy that body cams shall be mandatory for all officers during their shift. Now, I think there's a couple of issues with this. One is that the the new order doesn't say anything about mandating that they be active and running. And I've seen numerous investigations where officers turn their body cams and their microphones on and off as they see fit. And I think we are going to see a lot of resistance by police agencies about funding, because body cams aren't, aren't cheap. Uh, but one of the movements, the, the defund the police movements would be uh, in support of this, and the funds used to militarize police can be reallocated rather than giving them tanks and fully automatic weapons We can now reallocate those funds to things like body cams so that making sure that every single police interaction is videotaped. What I think we're going to end up seeing is a lot of pushback from police departments about the cost of body cams. Admittedly, they're not cheap. However, the defund the police movement is pushing hard to reallocate the resources that police officers spend on riot gear and armored personnel vehicles to services exactly like this to make sure that all police interactions are video recorded
1: i mean i think that's fantastic it's crazy but like even sometimes when things are on videotape they don't get taken care of at least not in the past so now at least we can make sure that you know if they do something about this we can make sure that every single situation is videotaped and you know that way we can use that to to have um there's some reform and, and hopefully people will just stop that the police will stop doing the wrong thing and they'll be able to um you know move move forward and and you know be held accountable and we'll stop seeing this unnecessary violence well governor
0: dewine addressed that issue in another portion of the uh, reform proposal with uh, the independent investigation of all police-involved deaths. So the cover-ups that you're referring to that we've seen in the past shouldn't be uh, quite as prevalent moving forward. Now you're still gonna have police officers investigating police officers. And I think it's really hard to get away from that entirely. But at least it's not you know, Bob's best friend that's investigating him for his, inv- his improper use of force.
1: Right, and then he gets a new job on the force or, or he gets a job the next jurisdiction over. It's it's gonna be a lot better and I think it will really start, you will start seeing some some positive changes and I think that'll be good for everyone
0: and to make sure that they don't get the job in the next jurisdiction. Governor DeWine has also proposed licensing of the police, which is so necessary. Um, It allows for strict training requirements. It gives the ability to blacklist officers uh, who lose their license due to disciplinary proceedings and, and improper conduct. And it provides them an additional layer of due process so that they've got a governing and licensing board to go to Um, if they've been improperly accused of police misconduct.
1: I think that's great. I think these are all steps in the right direction.
0: Absolutely. Now, as a follow-up to one of our previous topics on qualified immunity, um, Erica, did you see that Colorado today signed a law outlawing qualified immunity in their state?
1: That is unbelievable. Uh, How incredible of a change is that? Did you ever think that that would happen?
0: I really didn't, and I certainly didn't think it would happen that fast. Now there's a state action in Colorado to hold police financially accountable for the harms that they cause uh, to citizens and non-citizens alike. I think it's one important prong of of a multi-pronged approach to police reform.
1: I mean, but that said, they are going to be doing some investigation on each and every situation so that if they did have to use force because I mean let's face it, it it's still a tough job and, and and like we've said over and over again every police officer is not a bad police officer so there there are times when they need to protect themselves I mean police get police get hurt all the time on the job
0: for sure absolutely
1: what about something that we don't talk about too often, but the police are protesting. And there are threats out there that they are making to not responding and to resigning. Are we worried about that?
0: I'm not worried about that. I want police officers who aren't willing to do the work the right way to self-select off of the police force. And I think the good police officers would support that opinion as well. Because as we've said multiple times, bad police officers put good police officers in danger. We as citizens deserve not only those officers who are willing to train and report when their cohorts make negligent or malicious errors, just like judges, lawyers, accountants, teachers, and every other licensed professional in this country.
1: Yeah, you know what, you've got a really good point there, Brian. And. I mean the, the point is to protect the citizens and police and and protect the police officers and you know, there's nothing more important than that and if these are the reforms that we have to make in order to in, to ensure that that happens then you know let the people that don't want to get in line with this leave you're right
0: Absolutely Well Erica let's move on to segment 2 So today in segment 2 we're going to talk about the legal theory of of Today in segment two, we're going to talk about the legal theory pre-indictment delay. And what caused the impetus of this is that the actor Daniel Masterson of That 70s Show, he played Hyde on That 70s Show, was indicted on allegations that occurred in 2001 to 2003. They were investigated in 2017 all the way up to more recent times here in 2020 and were just indicted this week. In that regard, the charges the jury will hear are 17 to 19 years old. And we're going to talk about what kind of challenges that presents.
1: It has got to be really hard to defend allegations that are over a decade old. I mean, we've talked about this in the past, and, and there are a lot of things that, that can go wrong.
0: Well, there are, Erica, and it makes, it makes the defense of these charges, you know, defending a sexual assault allegation is hard enough already. But when you factor in the destruction of evidence that's been held by the police, often on a schedule established by the police, you know, they can't keep evidence forever. So most police departments have a destruction policy as short as a few months and in many cases a year, maybe two. Um, Combine that with the loss of the accused's investigative possibilities. It's impossible now for him to go back and obtain surveillance video. Um, It's incredibly difficult, if not impossible, for him to obtain cell phone records, um, location history information. DNA evidence is long gone by this point. Witnesses have forgotten the information, may have even died um, or have moved out of the area forensic data has been deleted, not collected, and is therefore lost forever. Um, And and maybe most importantly, the person who is accused himself, his memory is going to have deteriorated. Maybe most importantly, the accused himself has had significant memory loss. I mean, think about a, a memorable event. The last time that you had a birthday, and you probably went out to dinner for that birthday, Erica, what did you have for dinner that night?
1: Jeez, no idea.
0: What did you get for a present?
1: Oh, uh, probably. I'm not sure. And these are
0: significant events in your life. I mean, your birthday only comes once a year. And just like being accused of sexual assault, it's a significant event. Now, granted, sexual assault allegations are probably a slightly more significant event than your birthday every year, but after 20 years, how are you going to remember details of an interaction that you had with somebody 20 years ago?
1: Yeah, especially if they were probably drinking and tired and I don't know, there's a lot of things that could go on.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So that passage of time, Reduces the available exculpatory evidence—the evidence that shows that you're not guilty of a crime.
1: Exactly, I agree with you. Um, and the other weird thing about that whole situation is, I mean, it's, another lawsuit has gone out um, to the Church of Scientology, and, and uh, like there, there's an allegation that uh, the girls. All three were in the church two of them attended his church uh, were told not to go to the police and then when they decided to go to the police they were told not to go to the one in in the county where the church was because uh, you know that they had an in with the police there so they had to go to another county it was just like a really strange story Uh, But, I mean, you hear stories coming out of that church like that all the time, where, you know, they get involved with, you know, celebrities and protecting their own.
0: Absolutely. Very similar to the allegations we see against the Catholic Church.
1: That's true. I mean, how many times has a priest continued on after allegations over and over again? So... Why do you think the prosecutors waited so long to bring this up?
0: Well, in a nefarious aspect, strategy. Obviously, with all of the exculpatory evidence gone, memories deteriorated. Um, It's much easier to secure a conviction. Combine that with the Me Too movement that has been active since 2016 and the public sentiment that has shifted um, away from the presumption of innocence and towards a presumption of guilt, and now is the most convenient time to issue these charges. Additionally, Mr. Masterson's fame has been reduced since that 70s show went off the off the air. So I think there are some very strategic reasons why a prosecutor would would create this delay. It could be negligence. It could be that this case, just sat in a file cabinet for the last 20 years, and somebody just happened upon it in the last few days and said, hey, we should indict this. It could be a change in the county prosecutor. There could be a new prosecutor who's been elected and has decided that this case warrants prosecution, where the previous prosecutor, which is the case in the Masterson situation, previously, the authority said, this case is not worthy of prosecution. But now they're saying it is worthy of prosecution. We had a case just like this um, about a year ago, and it was a case that had all of these issues with the destruction of evidence, a change of prosecutor, negligence, and and outright destruction of evidence. Um, And it was decided, and we won a dismissal on the issue of pre-indictment delay, first in the trial court, and then we maintained that by winning the appeal in the Third District Court of Appeals here in Ohio
1: wow that's amazing uh and and they're lucky to have you because you know really if you can't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt uh it shouldn't go through you should they shouldn't win so i mean i think that's good and um i was gonna say too that it could be that uh mr masterson just got on a new show with ashton kusher so he's in the limelight again um And uh, he had just started working on a show called The Ranch. And it was another comedy sitcom. And so, you know, maybe somebody just felt like getting some vengeance.
0: Yeah, he was fired from The Ranch um, between seasons three and seasons four. And he was written off of that show back in 2017.
1: Right, when the allegations came out. Yep, exactly. Exactly. We often talk about how just an allegation can ruin somebody's life and... You know, if it's true, if he did those things, then, yeah, absolutely, you shouldn't, you know, be able to be a famous person making a ton of money. But, God forbid, it's not true, and you know he just lost his chance, and he may never get one again. It certainly has been a long time since he's had a good show. So now that he's had this happen to him, and he's he's lost his job, and you know he's going to be going in front of the court again. You know, what can somebody with a decades old uh, charge do to defend themselves in, in a case like this one?
0: In our office, Erica, we've represented numerous people who have found themselves in this situation. You know, we already talked about uh, the State versus Heinz case that we, we secured a dismissal and defended on appeal. Um, we, had a, we had another case, State v. Hadsel, And to be honest, Erica, it was one of the most fun times I've had as a criminal defense attorney because we conducted our own independent investigation. Myself and my co-counsel, we took a road trip down to North Carolina and we interviewed witnesses. We had submitted records requests. And so we interviewed police officers and gathered records from those police stations. Um, We... We went and we saw various scenes that were involved in the case, um, took pictures of a honeymoon suite that uh, was supposedly part of this cross-country kidnapping and sexual assault spree. Um, And what we were able to establish is that all of this information that we had to try and piece together in 2017 was completely available to the police Back when the charges and the allegations were originally made, back in 2005 and 2006, unfortunately for Mr. Hadsell, a lot of that information was gone. And we were able to get into that honeymoon suite and get some pictures of it. But the police had destroyed their records. Witnesses had lost their memories. And so we were able to come back to the court here in Delaware, Ohio, and we made the argument to have the case dismissed for pre-indictment delay we had to create a robust record in the trial court showing what would have been available back then, what was in the police, in the investigator's possession, and what we had lost over the course of time because of the delay in prosecution. And that's a really detailed evidentiary hearing where we as the defense bear the burden of proof. Now in Mr. Hadsell's case, we were unable to carry that burden and the court made us go to trial but fortunately for Mr. Hadsell, we had a great argument at trial and we were able to secure not guilty verdicts for him. An, An attorney, a criminal defense attorney must be prepared to create that evidentiary record, must be prepared to get down in the muck and dig up the evidence that should have been available and the evidence that is currently available and then defend the trial court's actions if they rule in their favor on appeal and defend that appeal um, from any decision or or decide to prosecute by the prosecutor's office. Um, Additionally, Erica, defending the case in the court of public opinion is critically important in these delayed indictment cases. You know, the sex crime allegations often receive quite a bit of press. And in the Me Too era, they receive even more press. So there's press from back when the allegations originally occurred, and now there's new press in in the current era, in the time of the current indictment. So getting out in front of that, making sure that we make statements just like the prosecutor's office does. The prosecutor's office gets out there and says, the defendant is guilty and we're gonna prove it at trial. And we make sure to get out there and say, Our client is innocent unless they can prove guilt. And here's all the information that the prosecutor didn't tell you before, just like they're gonna try and do in trial.
1: Wow, that is amazing. And you know, you guys certainly do such a great job over there. Uh, Just, it's, it's, it's amazing that you pick up the ball and run with it and have your own investigation. And I really feel like if you're looking for a good criminal attorney, To defend your rights and, you know, maybe, you know, false allegations, you really need someone that's going to do that and not just sit back and, and take whatever evidence is given to you.
0: I think that's critically important. You know, engaging in the investigation, the independent investigation of any allegation against our clients is critically important for any criminal defense attorney. And the sad truth is that most criminal defense attorneys just take the police at their word. They don't think the police would have any reason to fabricate information. I know attorneys who have read a summary report of a defendant's alleged confession and just took the police in that summary report at their word only for me to find out in a post-conviction scenario or having substituted in his counsel that when i listened to or watched the interrogation the client never confessed the client never made any incriminating statements but the officer's manipulation of that information when he summarized it from video recording to report told a different story and had we not gotten involved in those cases had we not done our own investigation then the truth never would have come out.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And you know, I think that you've talked about this in the past where it's like, are police officers allowed to lie to you? And the answer was always, yes. So, I mean, the reasons they do that is so that they can write in their report that, yeah, you you uh, you said that you I told them that if we'd let you go if you just tell us how much you had to drink, and then you tell them, and then all of a sudden you've got yourself a free ride in a cop car <laughs> with some new bracelets. So
0: the gray bar Uber.
1: That's right. Uh, it's a it's a pretty expensive Uber, that's for sure.
0: It absolutely is
1: in a lot of ways.
0: Which is why you know, which is why we take the position. You know, and we have the hashtags, we created them. No walk, no talk, no blow. Because police aren't out there to help you when they're conducting an investigation. They're there to create evidence to prove you guilty.
1: And usually their mindset is that you're not innocent. And so that's, they've seen so many things in their years of being police officers that they just presume that you're doing the wrong thing. And, you know, it's it's too bad, and it's a tough job for them to have, but it does kind of get in the way of them being impartial when they, when they pull someone over. They've already kind of decided that you're guilty.
0: That's exactly right, Erica. And that is a fundamental problem with our criminal injustice system. Police were originally created to be independent investigators, to resolve the disputes among the people, and to objectively investigate and create a record of what they learned over the course of that investigation. And what they have morphed into over the last two centuries is an agency that is an extension and an arm of, uh, of prosecutors who have political agendas to, you know, further their career, and get their conviction rates as high as possible. And that's just not the point of what police were originally founded to do. And I, for one, would love to see them get back to the protect and serve, rather than the prosecute and incarcerate that they are today.
1: I think that's great and I agree with you. And, uh, you know, I appreciate that we can talk about these issues and, and help educate people and. I, and ask questions. I mean, hey, I'm not an attorney, but I'm certainly glad that, you know, we can talk about these things and I can ask the questions and, you know, make my own decision from, from some of the answers that you give.
0: Well, Erica, that's exactly why we have you on the show is because we want that, we want that non-attorney perspective. We wanna be able to show everybody that these are not overly complicated legal issues that you have to have advanced degrees to engage in this discussion you can engage in this discussion and educate your family members you can educate your friends and all you have to do is stay informed and that's what we're here to do so we really appreciate you being on the show erica and we want to let everybody know that for more information about the legal and policy implications of the black lives matter movement and police accountability pre-indictment delay, or any other topic in the criminal injustice system and civil rights, everybody can go to tlobj.com, or find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Central Ohio Criminal Defense, or on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, at tlobj, for all the information that you need on these critical topics. We're gonna be back next week with a new sui generis perspective on the next big thing in civil rights and the criminal injustice system, as well as a discussion of no knock warrants and how it relates to the Breonna Taylor situation in Louisville, Kentucky. I wanna remind everybody to find our materials as well using the hashtags no walk, no talk, no blow. And don't do anything out there that I wouldn't do. But if you do, and you get caught, call me.